Listen to what Paul writes. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It has been a rich study to work through this letter in 2 Corinthians. We hear Paul's heart for ministry, his passion, his love for you, and how you worked in his life. And we have seen the fruit of that as your church has grown and as the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. And so, Father, we pray that in our hearts this morning, you would deepen our conviction, our love for you, that you would open our eyes to understand your truth and to apply it today. In Jesus' name, amen. How does knowing the future change the way that we live today? And by the future, I mean those things that we looked at in our message last week. In the first half of 2 Corinthians, we talked about uh, what was going to happen in the future, what happens when we die. And we talked about how one day we were going to receive a new glorified body. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus and a new earth that he is preparing for us. A world in which there's no more sickness or sorrow or suffering or death. No presence of sin in that new world. All of those things are part of this present world, but we will be gone in that day. And as we talked about those things last Sunday, um, and people were leaving and they came by and chatted with me briefly, there were kind of two responses to the message last week. On the one side, there were people who came by and said that that was very encouraging, it was very hopeful and comforting, and wow, that's just awesome to think about all of those things that are awaiting us who have placed our faith in Christ as our Savior and Lord. But there was also a second response. The thought of one day having to stand before the Lord to give an account for our life was a little bit unsettling. It's challenging. It is sobering. It's convicting. Maybe even a little bit fearful to think about standing before the Lord on that day. And if you felt both of those emotions last week or if those thoughts came to your mind, I mean, you are in good company. Because that's exactly the way the Scripture wants us to feel. The Apostle Paul felt both of those emotions as well. And in fact, those two emotions of fear and love are what motivated Paul in his ministry. And it really raises the question for us, you know, why do we serve the Lord? What is it that gives passion to our life and ministry? I would suggest it is these very same things that we are going to look at today. Paul talks about first the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And he said, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. 
he's referring back to verse 10 when he thinks about standing in the presence of our Lord, you know. Having that in mind, he says we understand what it is to fear the Lord. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, the scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And the fear of the Lord is really the starting point of our relationship with Him. You see, we'll never come to know Christ as Savior, we'll never make that decision to trust in Him as Savior and Lord, unless we see our own sin and our accountability before a holy God. It is that conviction that there is a God in heaven who rules the earth, and a God before whom we will stand and give an account one day, that really causes us to see our shortcoming, our sin, and our need for our Savior. And Paul had come into that relationship with Christ, as you know, on the Damascus Road. What is the fear of the Lord? How would we define it for the believer? For the believer, it is a deep sense of reverence and awe before a holy and mighty God. And that is the way that Paul is using that term here. He's not speaking about the terror, the absolute terror of the unbeliever who will come into the presence of God. But he is talking about those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord. There is still this fear, this reverence for God, but it is tempered by the fact we know that God loves us and He sent His Son to be our Savior. And yet if men trembled before angels when they saw them, how much more should we tremble before God? The fear of the Lord is a motivation to serve him the knowledge that we will stand before christ to give an account for our life affected paul in three different ways number one it caused him to take his own ministry very seriously i mean he knew that one day he was going to stand before the lord to give an account for his calling as an apostle and so he took that work very seriously and earnestly You can hear it in the language he used in other places in Scripture when he would speak of himself and he would say that I am under obligation to Jews and to Gentiles. I have a debt to pay. I have a responsibility to them. He would say that I am a bond slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. He'd say, I am a steward of these things that have been entrusted to me and woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He understood his calling. And he lived his life with that kind of seriousness to carry out his responsibility. I understand that. I understand that as a pastor with the calling that God has placed on my life. And I take my ministry very seriously because of that. That one day I will stand before the Lord to give an account for how I shepherded and pastored this particular church. How did I use the gifts that God had given to me? And each of us will give an account for our own personal gifts and opportunities and situations in which we lived as to how we use those gifts accordingly. And it is so encouraging to me whenever I hear of those that I have known who have gone before me in a sense in the faith and who are still walking with God. And I love it. I love to hear the stories of those who are continuing to serve Him. 
Just this past week, I got a letter from, it's a, a newsletter from the Jesus Film Project. Um, you know, many of you have seen the Jesus Film. You know what that's about, as they have used this a film to tell the story of Christ literally all the way around the world. And I saw in this newsletter a story about a couple named Bill and Lana Wolf. And Bill and Lana Wolf were at the University of Minnesota with Campus Crusade when Gail and I were students up at Moorhead. And we knew about them and about their ministry, and I had just lost touch through the years, and now they're working with the Jesus Film Project. They've been on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for 40 years now. And it was really neat to hear their story and their passion as they are so excited about bringing the gospel through this means to people who have never heard it before. And he shared a little story in there about how it all began for him. Where did this calling, where did this conviction start of wanting to take the gospel to those who have never heard? And he said, I was a student at Michigan State University when I first heard Dr. Bill Bright speak. And after he spoke that day, I had the opportunity to talk with him. And as we were talking, he said, Bill looked me in the eye and he asked me a question that I couldn't answer. He said, what will you do with your life that will last forever? What will you do with your life that will last forever? That's a pretty heavy question, isn't it? to think about and as a student he was challenged by that what am I going to do with my life that will last for eternity and I think all of us really have to answer that question how is it that we will use our gifts regardless of our vocation the place where we live when we think about our family we think about the opportunities we have to serve the Lord think about ministry involvement and our prayer and our use of our resources How will we use those in a way that will last forever? Each of us have the opportunity to do that in this life. Secondly, the fear of the Lord drove Paul's ministry to believers because he wanted them to be ready for that day when they would stand before the Lord. He wanted to do everything to prepare them for that day. It's why he was so concerned that they would not follow false teachers Whenever he heard, as in the the situation here at Corinth, where false teachers had come in and were trying to lead them astray, it just grieved him. He was passionate. He was zealous for them as a father loves his children. It's just like we who are parents, you know, care so much about our kids. We want them to be walking with God. We pray for them. We're concerned about them. We want them to, you know, uh, uh, make wise choices about the plans that they're making, about their marriage, their future, all of those things. And we are deeply concerned. Paul felt that way about the churches that he started. And he was concerned that they would hear and listen and obey what God had said. It's why he risked his life for the church. He taught them and instructed. He reproved them. He corrected. He loved them and he prayed for them faithfully. You know, again, when I think about the ministry that God has given here to me at this church, you know, I care about each of you. And one of my prayers is that we will all see one another again when we get to heaven. I don't want anybody to be missing. 
I know that that is possible, that even in a church where we try to share the gospel as clearly as we can, we can't make anyone respond to that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and each of us must choose to follow Christ. But my prayer is that all of us will come to that decision in our life to trust in Christ and that we will be growing as disciples. That fear of the Lord, in a sense, motivates me then to work hard at preaching and teaching and to make the gospel clear. It's why we also encourage you to develop your own personal habits of a quiet time, prayer life, so that you are growing in your walk with God outside of the church. And it's also why we encourage you to get into a small group or a Bible study where you can learn with others and help you grow in your faith. Because quite honestly, you know, if you come to church every Sunday for 52 weeks out of the year, say you you were here every single week, you know, I speak for about a half an hour, 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. If you take that over 52 weeks, that would be like 26 hours out of the year that either I or Jim or Jason as pastors are speaking and sharing a message. 26 hours isn't a lot, is it? It's not a lot. You know, if the statistics are right on what they tell us about television watching, some of you watch more than 26 hours of television in a week. I mean, when you think about that that kind of comparison between what we are hearing from the Word of God on Sunday morning versus what the world is kind of bombarding us with all through the week. That's why you can't rely on this alone. It's why you need to be in the Word of God for yourselves on a daily basis. It's why we need to have that fellowship with other believers during the week that encourages us to walk with God and be in His Word. It is that important. Our spiritual life is at stake. And thirdly, the fear of the Lord caused Paul to share the gospel with as many people as he could. In Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul was passionate about bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to those who had never heard. And he looked for opportunities to do that wherever he went. And I would hope we would have that same kind of confidence and desire for us as well. That in the relationships that we've developed, in the you know, friends we have, whether it's at school as a student or whether it's in the workplace or in your neighborhood as you get to know people, that you would be praying for those who don't know Christ and that you would look for opportunities to share the gospel or to invite them to come to a specific event that might be an outreach event, might be a worship service on Sunday morning, so that they might come and hear about Jesus. That drove Paul's ministry. He said, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We know what is coming. Because of that, we try to persuade men. And then he went on in a transition here. Well, let me ask you the question first, though, as an application of this, just to think briefly about who is it that you are praying for and who is it that you are witnessing to? I think all of us should have some people in mind that we could sort of have that we would consistently be thinking about and praying for and then looking for opportunities 
to share with them the good news. In verses 11 to 13, there's kind of a transition here where Paul talks about his own ministry once again. And we've seen in this letter how there was a time when he felt he really had to defend himself to the Corinthians and his ministry because these false teachers were claiming that uh, Paul's suffering really kind of disqualified him as an apostle. I mean, if he really was a messenger of God, why would he go through all of these tough things that he does? I mean, obviously God's blessing isn't on his life. That was sort of the message that these false teachers were sharing. And Paul has addressed that question in this letter. And that his suffering is just like the suffering that Jesus Christ went through for each of us. And it is part of bringing the gospel to those who have never heard. And so Paul goes on in this passage and he says, you know, that what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are an open book. We're not trying to hide anything. Who we are, our motives... The reason we do this, it's all plain to God, and I hope that you can see it too. And we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Those false teachers might look good on the outside, might look really polished in their speaking, might look like they're really sharp dressers or good orators or all of those things, but look at their heart. Look at their heart. And Paul said, I think you know my heart too. He wanted those Corinthians to be able to defend his ministry when these kind of questions came up. And he said, I know that there are some who think we are out of our mind to suffer so much, but we do it for God and we do it for you. If we are out of our mind, according to the world's viewpoint, It is for the sake of God. And isn't it interesting how often the world thinks that if somebody's just a little bit too spiritual, a little bit too zealous, a little bit too passionate about spiritual things, sometimes the world looks at that and just says, I don't get it, or what a waste, or what a fool. What a fool that someone would give up all of those things. It happens in uh, settings like a college campus where I know a friend of mine who went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ in ministry. He was a really sharp student and uh, very gifted in his particular area. And his advisor at the school once told me, not knowing of my interest in doing the same thing, he just said, what a waste. What a waste that Reed chose to do that. He just did not get it why anybody would go into ministry instead of some other profession. And sometimes the world looks at those who have left their homes and families to become missionaries and serve in other parts of the world, and they just think they're a fool. But they are not a fool in God's sight. Paul would be accused of being insane on another occasion when he was brought before King Agrippa and Festus in the book of Acts. He gave a defense for his ministry. He explained why he did what he did. And Festus said... Paul, your great learning has made you insane. And Paul's response was this. He said, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. And whether a short time or a long time, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul's passion, his prayer, 
was that all who heard him would come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Paul was no fool, and neither are those who choose to follow Christ. Secondly, Paul would say that he was compelled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ was the primary motivation that drove his ministry. The love of Christ compels us. It literally means it holds us fast. This word that is used here for holding fast or compel, it's the same word that was used of Jesus in Luke twenty-two sixty-three, when he was held by the soldiers who mocked him. The soldiers who bound him held him fast. But Jesus also would use that word to describe his desire to accomplish his Father's will. He knew that the Father had sent him into this world on a mission and that he was to give his life. And he felt uh, like he was held fast by the Father's will until he had gone to the cross and laid down his life for us. Paul would also use this word to describe the effect that the Word of God had on his life. That when he talked about how God had changed his heart and how the Word of God had impacted his life, he felt constrained by it, held fast, that he must also share this good news with those who had never heard. Do you ever feel that? You feel that conviction in your heart from God's Word so deeply that you must do these things in a good way. That it has become such a deep conviction in your heart that this is the driving force of your life. The love of Christ. The desire to please Him. For Paul, the love of Christ was the primary reason that he could no longer live for self. He had become convinced of these things. He had become convinced that Christ died for all and therefore all died. And he had become convinced that we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for Him who died and rose again on our behalf. And Paul had surrendered his life to Jesus Christ as a result. It is when we die to self It's when we die to sin that we are truly free to live. And when we come to know Him as our Savior and Lord and we surrender our heart, our life, our dreams, our hopes to Jesus Christ and trust Him to lead us, He will do that. I remember hearing the story about C.T. Studd who was a wealthy, young college student in England many years ago. He was a great cricket player in his generation. He'd be like athletes today who compete on the Olympic level and are well-known in their country. He was an outstanding young man and had all of the opportunities that he wanted in front of him to do just about anything that he could do. But C.T. Studd came to know Christ as his Savior and Lord, and he surrendered his life to him, and he chose to literally give away all of his inheritance to give it away to the Lord, and then he went on to serve Christ as a missionary. And he made this statement about the decision that he made. He said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, the Son of God, and he was willing to lay aside his glory in heaven and suffer and die for me, 
then there's nothing too great that I can do for him. And he chose to follow Christ. For the believer, following Christ is the most rational thing in the world to do. It is sin that is irrational, but following Christ makes all the sense in the world. And if our motivation to serve Him is low, perhaps it is because our conviction is weak. Now think about that. Let me say that again. If our motivation is low, perhaps it is because our conviction is weak. Have we become convinced of the truth of these things, both of who Jesus is and what that means to our life today and what awaits us in eternity? The more that sinks into our soul, the more that sinks into our heart, the greater our passion is to serve Him. So how do we grow in our conviction? Our conviction grows by hearing, reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God. Our conviction grows as we spend time in His Word and let God speak to us. Going back into the Old Testament, God told Moses to assemble all the people and to read my Word in their hearing. Why? So that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. He said, Moses, I want my people to hear my word. Because when they hear my word, they will listen and learn to fear the Lord and follow what I have said. Fear and love, they go hand in hand. They just go together as a part of our motivation for ministry. You know, the first time I heard those two terms put together, because they're not something that we would, say, maybe naturally do, the first time I heard those two concepts of fear and love going together, I was 10 years old. I grew up in a Lutheran church background, and in that particular age, at, when I was 10, I was in fourth grade, we were learning the Ten Commandments that year, and one of the things that we had to memorize was Luther's small catechism. And in Luther's small catechism, I can still remember the words of the explanation that he gave for every one of those commandments. He said, we are to fear and love God so that. We are to fear and love God so that. And let me give you some examples of how it is. And I pulled this off of the web just as an example of some of the explanations that he gave. He said, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. In reference to the first commandment. Go ahead, you can just put the others up too. He said, we should fear and love God that we may not despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. He was talking about reference to the Lord's day. He said, we should fear and love God that we may not despise nor anger our parents and masters, but give them honor, serve, obey, and hold them in love and esteem. He said, we should fear and love God that we may not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need, in every need and danger of life and body. And we should fear and love God that we may lead a chaste and decent life in words and deeds and each love and honor his spouse. 
That's just half of them. For each of the commandments, he gave an explanation in that way. And those words have stuck with me through the years that we are to fear and love God. We are to tremble before him. We are to honor him as Lord and God, as our creator and maker. But we are also to love him because he is our savior and he loves us so very, very much. Fear and love go together. We are to fear and love God above all else. In the book, Deepening Your Conversation with God, Ben Patterson shares a story about his family. He said, when my children were little, when they got to the age that they liked to wrestle with their dad, and maybe you enjoyed that. I had three boys. They all loved to wrestle with dad. He said, we played a game we called Jabba the Butt. Yep, you got it. The name came from that large, disgusting character in the Star Wars episode, Jabba the Hutt. And he said, we changed the name to Jabba the Butt just for humor. And he said, I would play Jabba, and the kids would, you know, run around the room, and they'd try to shoot me with their laser guns, you know, and we'd wrestle and fall to the floor. And he said, sometimes I would get into the role too much, And their little imaginations would run wild and would slip into stark terror. They would feel my great strength and they would hear my booming voice and suddenly Daddy would be transformed into Jabba. And then the game would stop and I would hold them tenderly and I would take them in my arms and I would remind them that I was their Daddy. He said the juxtaposition of great overwhelming strength and power with tender love is as hard for a child to hold on to as it is for an adult. My love for them was staggering when they coupled it with my power. Addressing God as Father can become electrifying if we can put these two together in our minds, combining infinite love and tenderness with infinite holiness and power. It can become the source of our greatest seriousness and our deepest joy. That one of such might can be called our Father. And that our Father can be one who has such incredible might. Fear and love go together. When I think about what Paul wrote here in terms of his motivation for ministry, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. The love of Christ compels me. I think of those two ideas of fear and love also go together with who Jesus is. Jesus is our Savior, but He is also our Judge. He is Judge. He is Savior. And we will stand before Him to give an account for our life, but that one before whom we stand is also the one who gave His life for us. He gave everything for us. What will we give to him? What will we do in return? Let's pray. Father, we can understand what Ben Patterson was talking about there, where sometimes it's hard for us to put together your awesome power and your tender love. And that you have both that you are an awesome God who deserves our utmost respect and honor and fear and reverence. 
Yet you are our Father who says that we can call you Abba, Daddy. And that just, that's staggering for us to think about. But Lord, I pray that both of those motivations would impact our heart. That we would choose to live in a way that honors you. That we would put you first as Lord of our life. And that we would make the most of the days that we have to live in a way that pleases you. Father, would you use our church this year to bring many to Christ as Savior and Lord? Would you help us to grow deep in our walk with you in our personal times as well as the time that we spend together in study and listening to your word? And may you use our church to be an equipping place to send out laborers into the harvest field all over the world. We ask it for your honor and glory. Amen.